This week's episode is brought to you by Campaign Refinery, an amazing new email marketing automation tool. Look, in the world of digital marketing, there's a lot to keep track of. We all know this. As much as we're in love with social media and the power of social conversation here at Social Link and on the All About Digital Marketing podcast, we are well aware at just how powerful email marketing can be. Email marketing is not dead. In fact, it's never been more important to help you leverage your presence everywhere else into the one channel that you'll own, regardless of what changes Facebook, Twitter, or any other platform makes in the future. I've known the founder, Travis Ketchum, for years, and he's been a past guest on the podcast, episode 15, if you want to listen to it. I've personally used his other products before, and they've been fantastic. The amount of thought that he's put into each and every one of what he's created has been incredible. I'd highly encourage you to try their free 14-day trial at campaignrefinery.com to see what world-class email marketing automation can do for you and your business. Massive thank you to Travis and Campaign Refinery for their support of the All About Digital Marketing show. Welcome to the All About Digital Marketing podcast. The show all about digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing. Brought to you by Socialink, a digital marketing agency specializing in social media and content marketing for brave brands and forward-thinking SMEs. I'm your host, Chris Bruno, and as always, we're here to bring you the most actionable tips, tricks, tools, and insights to help you achieve more when it comes to your digital marketing. Subscribe to the show and be sure to share with a friend if you found something useful or interesting. You can find all the show notes and more information on www.allaboutdigitalmarketing.co.uk. Vin, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. So, Vin, you are in New York. I know you as an incredible SEO content guy. But what I really want is for you to give a proper introduction to everybody else who's listening and who hasn't come across you yet. Sure. Uh, my name is Vin Deletto. I'm from wordagents.com. Uh, we are a content creation agency that specializes in SEO optimized content. And in short, all that means is we take uh, the keywords you want to rank for, we create content around those keywords, and give you the best chance for ranking uh, those keywords on Google. Outside of Word Agents, I'm also an SEO. Uh, I maintain a uh, portfolio of what we call authority websites. That, you know, we build from scratch, we get to revenue, and eventually uh, we flip for a profit. Um, so yeah, that's about uh, everything I do in a little bit, in a little nutshell there. That's awesome. So I'm going to get into this straight away and start asking for anyone who's listening to the episode. SEO, I think, sounds super easy uh, from my experience as an agency, and we've worked with some incredible SEO guys in the past as well. It's not an easy task. It's something that I think it'd be really useful if you can to kind of try and explain this breakdown. Because I think people think, you know, you add in a few keywords into that meta description box and Bob's your uncle, Bosch, here you go, you know, you're ranking number one on Google. And life just doesn't work like that. As we all know, you know, you have to put in time and effort. So can you give a little bit of a breakdown as to, you know, what that actually looks like, especially for a small to mid-sized business that's trying to get started in this field? Sure, sure, sure. So like you said, um, SEO on paper, looks very simple and, and logical, uh, but in reality, it's, it's very nuanced. You kind of have to uh, 
I guess, learn how to uh, make judgment calls on the fly very often that don't necessarily fit into SEO best practices. Uh, but in short, SEO is broken down into offsite and onsite SEO. Offsite would be the things that you do to your website that positions your website to be as rankable as possible. And offsite SEO has to do with the promotion you do outside of your website, normally through the process of link building. Uh, but you could also do things like podcasting, like we're doing now, different types of content promotion offsite. Uh, so those are the two basic elements to SEO. But getting into um, making those elements effective takes a lot of experience. It's always an interesting one because you've probably thrown out about three, four keywords that people will listen to and their ears will have perked up because they've heard them before. But they've talked about things like or they've heard about or read about things like backlinks. And now in theory, again, when you're reading this blog article that tells you all you need to do is get a backlink, actually having a network of places to find backlinks or people to, to, to accept content on your behalf so that you can have a backlink, that can actually be quite a, a, a tiresome and a long process, right? Yeah, the backlinking conundrum is, is, a, is just an ongoing thing uh, SEOs will always fight with. Uh, and just because of the nature of the link to begin with, um, in order to rank highly on Google for your keywords, you need to have a number of votes pointing to your website. And, and we call those backlinks. And Google wants you to get these, these links. And uh, it's basically the primary way they, um, the primary strategy they use to determine how to rank your website uh, amongst the competition. The problem being is it's against Google's terms of service to actively go out and get backlinks. Uh, they, they don't want you to manipulate the ranking of the search engine result pages, uh, they want you to achieve backlinks naturally, uh, which is very, very difficult to do. So the job of SEOs really is to obtain backlinks uh, in a way that appears as natural as possible to Google without actually flipping any kind of uh, filters or triggers that would alert uh, Google to maybe um, some shady linking techniques. Um, and, you know, just, just in uh, that explanation, you can kind of see how uh, backlinking can get very, um, I guess, uh, overwhelming at times, um, depending on, you know, just figuring out what type of links are appropriate and what type of links will get you penalized by Google. It's interesting because I can remember years, many years ago, um, <laughs> people had link farms. Now, I, I, instead of me trying to explain this, I'll let you do this, but this is very much where the whole, you know, white hat, black hat for anyone who doesn't know, you know, the good things to do and the bad things to do. But I remember when you had these link farms and literally it was just a web page with thousands of links on it, right? That's all it was, hundreds of pages with lots of links on them all the way through. And this is something that was regarded as being really, really bad, right? Yeah, so um, that was the very first um, major shift in the SEO industry, I, I would say. Uh, back in, in between like 2010 and 2012, there was these link farms, which are basically just networks of websites that people would put together for the sole purpose of pointing a link to your website for a fee, of course. And back in the day, um, in 2010 to 2013, maybe, this worked extremely well. You could pay some a link network maybe 500 bucks and you could rank your website for the most competitive, profitable keywords in the, in the world. And I would say many of the um, big name SEO agencies out there 
probably earned their money from uh, profiting off link farms like this back then. Uh, but of course, all good things must come to an end, and uh, Google eventually put an end to that practice. Now, any websites that are found to have links from link farms get a, uh, get a penalty. And through this penalty, they could either uh, remove your website from Google for a period of time, or they can remove your website permanently, uh, which would obviously have very negative effects for your business. It's interesting because I think we've probably gone into some of the more technical kind of aspects of this, but let, let's try and bring this all the way around. So the goal of this podcast is always to try and give as much tips, tricks, hints, tools, anything that we can to really help people. But one of the questions that I get asked a lot, and I'm going to just throw it over to you to answer instead of me trying to, is a really simple one, which is, I want to rank for this keyword. What do I need to do? And this to me is a really challenging one again. And I know that there's a lot of nuances and, you know, different elements that, that go into this, but help people understand this, you know, so that they get a real picture of what it takes to try and rank for a keyword. Sure. Um, and, and what I always say, and, and you'll see me saying this in, in several podcasts and interviews is you always take the stance of matching and exceeding. So fortunately for SEOs, Google shows its hand in regards to how to rank for a specific keyword, because they, you know, you can see what what web pages are currently ranking for that keyword right now. So all you really need to do is reverse engineer the websites that are currently ranking for the keyword that you want to rank for. And by reverse engineer, I just mean, mean look at the size of their website, look at how they optimize their articles, uh, specifically the article that's ranking for the keyword that you want to rank for. Um, you can also look at the backlinks that they have uh, pointing to their website and to your website as well. And once you obtain this data, what you want to do is match them in regards to the same number and quality of backlinks, uh, the same length of article, the same quality of article for the article that's ranking for the keyword, and then exceed. And I, when I say exceed, I mean I try to do about 10 to 15% better than they did. So 10 to 15% more links, 10 to 15% more value out of the content, uh, and in general, just 10 to 15% more effort. And usually, when I take this approach, uh, I find a lot of success. Now, um, you also always have to take into account the, the pure competition of the keyword you're trying to rank, because uh, obviously, some keywords are more competitive, competitive than others. Uh, but for the most part, if you take a match and exceed uh, standpoint, uh, you'll be putting yourself in, a, in a, a good position for success. This probably brings me on nicely to the next bit, which is how should small businesses identify the keywords that they should be going after? Because you mentioned that keyword there, right? Where it's, it is competitive, like, you know, certain keywords, it's going to be very hard to match and exceed, right? If you've got, you know, if you're a new piece of software that does, I don't know, let's say social media scheduling tool, you know, you're up against some serious players that have been around for years who are creating content day after day that have huge websites that have been around for a long time. Those sort of terms can be super competitive. So how do you kind of identify what those keywords are and how that, you know, how do you make that decision to, to decide which ones to really target? Sure. I'll give you some keyword research uh, tips in a nutshell here. Um, you're going to want to have two sets of keywords. The keywords that you want to rank for eventually and these will be the most difficult keywords that it, in your industry that it that will uh, the most difficult to rank keywords in your industry rather. So that'll be set one. 
And set two would be the keywords that you can rank right now today. Um, and that will be completely based on uh, the power of your website in the eyes of Google um, and just how long you've been at uh, the SEO game. For both sets of keywords, you'll need um, a, a keyword research tool. Uh, the big players in the game, um, the biggest one I would say is ahrefs.com. That's A-H-R-E-F-S.com. And the other big one is semrush.com. And these tools uh, have functionality that allow you to search um, for keyword opportunities in your industry. The quickest way to find these keyword opportunities is simply to amass a, um, a list of your competitors, both competitors that are the biggest competitors in the vertical uh, within your industry, and also competitors that are kind of at your level. And then what you can do is you can actually plug their websites into these tools and it'll spit back the keywords that they're current, currently ranking for. Now, you can kind of mash all these uh, keyword lists from each of your competitors together and then kind of cherry pick the keywords that you want to target and put them into those two bucket, buckets that I mentioned previously, where um, the easy bucket, the ones that you can rank for right now, you can get started creating content for those keywords right away. And the long-term bu uh, bucket, you can kind of create uh, a strategy as to how you'll be, how you want to approach ranking for those very difficult keywords uh, over the course of a few years. Does that make Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we've had actually a, a couple of the guys from SEM Rush on the uh, on the podcast as well. And it's hugely insightful to see how one how they grew their company, but two the the absolute power that that um, that software has, and it is a really yeah. good tool. So, uh, not sponsored. SEM Rush is a is a marketing machine, but both uh, for marketers like the, us. But the marketing they do for the company is is very impressive. They're, they're pretty much everywhere in the SEO world. Yeah, we spoke to the global head of marketing. She was very, very impressive. Um, and yeah, sure. again, we're not sponsored by SEM Rush, but I will drop this <laughs> into the show notes because again, it is a great tool for people to use. Okay, cool. So now that somebody has an idea, they know roughly what the keyword is that they think that they can rank for straight away or they want to try and do, right? Now it's all about content. And this is where you guys come in as an agency as well. But what do you recommend for, and again, we're trying to help small businesses, but not everyone can afford an agency, right? But when people are writing blog sure. articles, I find, you know, I, I come across anyway, unfortunately, clients that, you know, they're saying to me, yeah, I write a blog regularly, one thing or another. And when I have a look, it's 200, 300 words of jibber jabber, basically just sort of chatting about something with no clear defined purposes or anything else. So what are the tips then at that point? Once you know what the keyword is you want to go for, what's the next step? Sure. Uh, th these days, we typically use uh, mind data to help us make these decisions. But if somebody just starting, they don't want to spend money on tools and such, and they just want to, you know, uh, dip their toe in the water uh, in regards to optimizing their content for a specific keyword that they want to rank. Um, there's a few very easy uh, strategies that you can implement right away that will have that will be effective right away. So once you understand which keyword you want to target you have to go ahead and, and create your article around that keyword. The most effective things you can do right away would be make sure that your that exact keyword that you want to rank is in the URL of the um, page uh, of the article you're writing. Uh, you want to make sure the keyword is in the title tag as well as your H1 tag. 
if possible, you can work that keyword into both the introduction paragraph and the conclusion paragraph of the article. Uh, and as well, if you could include the keyword or a variation of the keyword in some of uh, the headings within the article, um, that is very effective as well. And I would say when it comes to optimizing content, that is like content optimization 101. That's what you want to do to every single article um, that's focused around a, a specific keyword. And I, I would say that would get you um, to the first ranking to the first two pages for the keyword for, for easy keywords. And it'll get you in the top 30 for you know, medium, medium high competition keywords. It's interesting because there's a lot of um, talk around the whole content space and how to write this content, but you'll also find a lot of mixed messages. So from your experience, how do you find uh, when it comes to the content creation aspect, what sort of length do you find to be the, the, the right kind of standard? You know, when I talk to people and I say, you know, you want to try and write a good 800 words minimum for a good blog piece around something, around a particular topic. But again, I'm sort of working off information that give or take I've been sort of told over the years. And also because when I say to someone, write 2,000 words about a subject, they kind of look at me and are mortified. So <laughs> what's, the, um, what's the kind of advice that you would give to people in terms of the length of articles and how they're trying to create this content? Sure. Yeah. This, this kind of goes back into like intent modeling too, you know, writing to the intent of the search query. Um, but fortunately this, uh, we can kind of lean on Google again for this, they're already showing us, uh, the correct length for the article, uh, with the pages that they're currently ranking for the keyword. So what I like to do, uh, is I usually, um, tally up the length of each article currently ranking in the top five spots for the keyword. And I get the average, the average length for those top five articles. And then I just match and exceed again. So if uh, the average length, length was like 800 words, uh, maybe I'll do like 800 words plus 10%. And typically that, that puts me uh, right where I need to be. And I see a lot of success that way. Now, if you don't want to go through the trouble of kind of averaging out the length of the currently ranked articles for your keyword, uh, I'd say a good rule of thumb would be, uh, like you said, Chris, anywhere between like 800 words and 1,500 words for a standard blog post. It always scares people when I say that. And some people listening are like that. This is why I don't blog. You see, I can't write 800 words. I can't write 1,500 yeah. words. <laughs> well, you know, that's why, uh, that's why Word Agents is here, you know? Yep. Um, but, you, you know, blogging doesn't have to be a scary, a scary thing. Uh, you can just, you know, you can just put up updates about what's going on with your company every week. And it doesn't have to be anything official. It could be something fun about, you know, what's going on with your staff or something uh, notable that happened with one of your clients. I think something people miss is just doing it will get you results. Uh, you don't have to be an expert. I think uh, just being consistent with your blogging, you'll get some kind of results out of that. So it might be scary at first, but just try something. And uh, I think you'll be surprised. So this is actually a good question now, you, now that you've mentioned that. But so back in the day, they used to say, you know, websites that are that do have blogs that are updated or that, sorry, have new blogs coming online, blog posts, um, that actually Google would end up crawling it more often because as and when it does, it sees that there's new content being added. It sees that there's new content being added. And then it says, all right, this site has content regularly, so I should check this more often. Is that still true today? 
Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you if you're showing Google that you're publishing and indexing content on a daily or weekly basis, you're going to have Google crawl your website much more often than if you're only publishing content on a monthly or quarterly or even you know yearly basis. Um, but the idea that Google is going to give preference um, in regards to rankings um, for based on how often you you post is kind of a fallacy. Um, you will get crawled more, but I don't know if you're going to get uh, if you're going to rank better as a result of uh, the you know the more frequent crawling. Now, to add some nuance to this, currently um, most websites do see uh, a ranking boost when they update old content. Um, so if you have an old blog post from two years ago and the facts in that blog post have changed since then, if you go in there and update that blog post with current factual information and update the post date to show that it's been republished for the current date, uh, you should see a, a boost in rankings from, from doing that. So for anyone who has started, now you know, and if you haven't started, you also know that you need to start. <laughs> Regardless, there's yeah, some work yeah, to be sure. done on your blog. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just in, in today's SEO environment, um, if, all, if you have a ton of content on your site and a lot of it is not ranking, it's probably more beneficial for you to go back and re-optimize those old blog posts rather than put out new content. Um, because all that content is, is energy and money and time that you spent on your website that isn't doing anything for you right now. So instead of uh, spending more money and time creating new content um, in today's environment, I would suggest going back and, and evaluating why those, those old articles aren't performing um, and what you can do to fix them. Um, and if they can't be fixed, maybe, maybe you should just remove them altogether. Awesome. So now that people have a rough idea of you know, how to find keywords, how to identify the right ones, and then obviously writing them, obviously that there's a, a big step that you talked about earlier in terms of creating what, these, what everyone calls backlinks. Now, from my understanding, obviously, we're talking about links from another website that look natural or feel natural to Google that come from another website recommending or pushing people to your website, right? That's correct. So how do you go about doing that? Like, how do you go about trying to find those initial kind of backlinks or how, what sort of ways can small businesses do that? Uh, in, in Google's eyes, they actually don't want you going out and, and getting links. They want you to promote your content and they want you to write great content so that that content can attract links naturally. Now, in reality, that never, ever happens. Um, you can create the best content in the world and share it all over social media and and get it out there, and the return uh, on your investment just won't be there. So what you actually have to do is go out and prospect for your links, just like you would prospect uh, for a new client uh, in your sales process. Uh, the way we do this is just simply reaching out to um, other websites in your industry and um, creating a relationship. And um, it's, it's not so much just reaching out and asking for a link because your success with that probably won't be too good. But if you create a relationship with the website owner, let them know what you're doing. And if you do that often enough, you'll, land, you'll make, create enough relationships where a few of them uh, will result in backlinks, uh, whether through a guest post or just maybe the website owner is a nice guy and just wants to throw you a link anyway. 
Uh, you can also reach out to colleagues, friends, and family, um, people that have uh, websites uh, that um, would be willing to link to you. Um, the, the best link you can get would be uh, links from websites uh, that are relevant to your industry, uh, but links from unrelevant websites will still have some uh, effective um, nature to them. So if you want to get you know, a link from a, a family member's website, that'll be fine too. And I think between creating relationships and just reaching out to your personal network, um, that's always the best way to generate the, your, your first batch of links to your website. I like it. And it is quite a hard one because I, I know that a lot of people that I've spoken to have struggled with this because for a website owner and somebody who's got a decent website, you get a lot of requests, right? And a lot of them are auto-generated kind of emails, which is very much just like, you know, here's this, you should really link to this. Um, or here's right. an infographic I made, you should really link to it in your blog post X or whatever it is. And it doesn't really seem to, well, it doesn't feel like there's much of the relationship building aspect to it. It's very much just a kind of, will you give us a link back? Um, so I wonder, like, do, do you find that there's a lot of success in, in the space if you if you don't build that relationship and you just kind of ask for these things, or do you feel that the relationship is really the key aspect there to, to building those links? Yeah, it's, it's gotta be kind of like a, a happy medium, right? So if, if you're spending so much time creating these uh, great relationships, um, you're not going to be able to, you know, get the number of links that you need to be successful. Uh, but at the same time, if you're just kind of like spamming out thousands of emails without thought to who you're emailing, um, your success rate is going to be very low. So it's kind of like the happy medium between the two. Um, we certainly will mass email um, link requests out, um, but the verbiage that we use in those emails isn't like so spammy. Like we're actually uh, addressing the website owner by name. Uh, we're referencing something about their website uh, to just show them that we put the effort in to learn a little bit about them. And then it becomes a game of numbers at that point. Once you've kind of defined your prospect list and made sure that the people you're going to reach out to um, make sense to re reach out to, then you can kind of go through your automations and, and uh, load up your email software and uh, blast out your emails to um, that refined list that you made. Would you say that there's been a change in the responsiveness of people for, for this? Because again, obviously we talked about this earlier in terms of like link farms and things like that. So you know, it's been sort of seven years, give or take, since Link Farms and everything were regarded as being very, very much a, a no-no. Um, but now, you know, people are, you know, it's a more competitive space. There's more websites than ever before. There's more blog articles and blogs than there ever have been before. It's, it's getting very, very sort of um, claustrophobic almost in terms of, you know, everywhere you look, somebody's trying to rank for something. Is it becoming a very hard space to, to create those kind of links? Um, you know what? I, I would say that uh, outreach um, link building, which is what we're talking about here, is still very much effective. Um, I'd say the angle and the strategy that you use to um, uh, undergo outreach link building, um, the old strategies ha have become overused, so they don't work as well anymore. Um, and like you said, website owners are becoming more savvy uh, to these types of requests. So, you know, just the approach needs to change because all those canned emails from the past three or four years, everybody's seen them already. Uh, so you really just need to change your pitch, your approach, um, maybe the, the offer that you're, you're, you're offering in exchange for the link. Um, 
And, you know, the more you test, uh, the more you, you'll get a, a feel for what works for your industry. It's very much like the sales process. You know, you load up your CRM and, and you're going to have a pitch to your, your prospects. And, um, you know, if, if that doesn't work, you're going to adjust that pitch uh, until you find something that, that increases your, your conversion rate. Awesome. Well, I think that's a huge amount of advice for, for all sorts of people that are listening. I've got a couple of questions because I'm personally interested in this and I've built a couple of content heavy websites over the years for, for various different projects, but I still get conversations occasionally. Um, and unfortunately, especially when traveling and I meet people who are what they determine as uh, digital nomads. And when sure. people start talking to me about, you know, the idea of what I want to do is I want to start a travel blog so that I can travel for the rest of my life. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'll make money from it. I, for me personally, I think this space is, or that, that particular space, but a lot of spaces are very, very hard and very, very competitive. And I think what I'm trying to find out from your side is one, what do you think about sort of the competitiveness of trying to set up a blog in any kind of uh, field at the moment in terms of the competitiveness of that? But actually also, how much real effort and time is required to really make a blog start to get some traction? Cool. There's a lot I can talk about here. <laughs> um, but without getting uh, too nerdy, uh, I'll, I'll throw a few facts at you. Uh, right now in today's environment, the average age of a web page ranking on the first page for any given keyword is 3.3 years. So if you're starting a new website from scratch, you got to figure that you have two to three, three plus years ahead of you uh, before you'll get into that average zone of being able to rank on the first page. Stepping outside uh, of that little tidbit, uh, when you ask, you know, should I go into this specific vertical, you really need to do very deep competitive research to answer that question. Every single industry and every single vertical has a different level of competition. So you really need to take your time to understand what that competition uh, looks like right now. Who are the up and coming players uh, that will be relevant maybe six months to a year from now? Uh, and how much resources you're going to need uh, to put in place in order to overcome these competitors. So for me, when I'm doing uh, competitive analysis, I spend anywhere between a week to a month and a half doing research before I you know, make the final decision whether to go into uh, a specific industry or to just abandon it altogether. That's insane. That's a lot, yeah. of, uh, that's a lot of hours <laughs> of, um, of research and trying to figure it out. But, but put it this way, Chris, if once, once, you hit, um, once you hit like a winner, you can have a passive income stream of, you know, $50,000 or more every month. Uh, so, you know, that front-loaded research is totally worth it. You know, you can kind of have an annuity of 50 grand every month or, or more uh, if, you, if you did it correctly. I think this is where there's a lot of, um, I think we talked about this just before we started the podcast recording, but people are often looking for that magic button, right? They've read an article or somebody's promised, uh, you know, get into this and, or use this click funnel and you'll have a million dollars in sales overnight and this stuff will happen very easily. Passive income is the dream, right? A lot of people want that and they'd love to be able to keep that going. But when we say passive income, I think there's a... There's a slight uh, misleading uh, element to that. 
it's not income that just magically popped up and that starts happening for you. It's something that takes time and effort. Like you just mentioned there, right? A month, month and a half of research to identify whether or not at the end of that month and a half, you might say, right, scrap that, that's not going to work. But actually, once you've identified that winner, there's a huge amount of effort and work that goes into that to then try and get it to a point where it starts to generate revenue. That's correct, Chris. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I definitely wouldn't want to give anybody the wrong idea. Um, get, getting to the level where income just flows in every month, um, it takes, you know, it took me a decade of experience and a decade of trial and error. Um, it takes me, you know, up to two months of competitive research. Um, and again, it takes uh, fighting with, with the Google algorithm uh, for two to three years before you get any traction. So yeah, you might be putting in uh, a few months of research before you decide to go into uh, an industry. But then after that, yeah, you have uh, three years of, of elbow grease that you got to put in before you get to that level where the, the website is just generating revenue uh, with very little input on your part. I think that's the bit that a lot of people don't talk about, right? right, right. <laughs> or at least not in their marketing. You know, I can teach you how to make passive income. And I will, I'll say this uh, because I've, I've been on both sides. Um, it's much easier to use SEO as a marketing tool for a real world brick and mortar business than it is to try to generate a website using SEO and generate revenue just from SEO tactics. Uh, you can do it but you'll have much, a much easier time developing a real-world business outside of SEO and simply using SEO as a marketing tool to uh, drive revenue to that business. That's interesting that you say that. And it, do you think that comes as part of the community that comes around that business? So all the clients, all the people, whether they're sharing content or whatever else it might be, but do you think that SEO works better when you have a real business with real community uh, for, for that sort of a reason? Um, I just think that all, it's, it's, it's kind of more uh, the flip of that. It's, it's the fact that all of the topics and the verticals that um, people go after for passive income authority websites, those are all taken up. Like, you know, the, the jig is up. People have learned the game. Um, and while it was very easy back in 2010 to rank uh, a website on, on a profitable topic, uh, these days, those topics are completely saturated and it's very difficult to rank for those, for those uh, industries and terms and keywords. Uh, but when you go for a specific uh, industry, let's use the restaurant industry as an example. Uh, I also own a restaurant uh, as another one of my businesses. The SEO competition for those terms is much lower, uh, typically because restaurant owners do not know much about SEO at all which make, makes it much easy, easier for me as an SEO to apply those tactics to my restaurant business uh, because the competition within that, that industry um, and my location where my, my restaurant is located uh, is much lower. That makes a lot of sense. And again, you're quite lucky in the sense of you understand SEO inside and out. So I'm guessing you could implement that to quite a few different businesses. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, definitely, um, it's definitely an edge. And, and if, you have, if you're able to have a director of SEO position in your company, um, they can bring that edge to, to you as well. Do you find that lots of companies, even when they get to a fairly decent size, are 
and I'm not going to say shying away from SEO or ignoring it, but you know, it's a less prevalent factor maybe than what they're doing for social, for example, or what they're doing for video marketing, for example. Do you find that that happens quite a lot? Yeah, it, it really depends on the size of the company. Like enterprise level companies, their reliance on SEO is very minimal just because of the pure brand recognition of, of uh, their names. Um, you know, people, um, well, let's say Coca-Cola, like Coca-Cola doesn't really need to, you know, take over keyword real, uh, real estate uh, because, you know, they're, they're a household name. Uh, so, you know, enterprise level uh, SEO, maybe not the biggest part of their marketing mix. Uh, but when you get down towards like mid-market and, and small businesses, SEO uh, is very important. Because you can, uh, the more organic traffic you can grab, the faster your business will grow. So I think the answer to that is really just, it depends on, on the size of the business uh, that you're in and where you're trying to uh, take your company uh, in the current environment. I think it's really interesting as well. And there's something, I, I scribbled down some notes as you were talking earlier, and there's something I want to come back to. But we mentioned very briefly the intent of a search term. And I think this is something that we kind of went through with a couple of the other guests on, on previous episodes, but I'd love you to get into this as well, because I think this is really important, especially for small, mid-sized businesses where, you know, resources are limited. And so time and effort that goes into these things is precious. But actually, can you help people out to understand when you talk about intent of a keyword, what are the differences and what do you mean by that? I understand it, but I think this is really important and useful information for people. Sure. So the way I describe this to our, our writers at Word Agents, because we try to write for intent whenever possible, um, intent just means who are the people that would be searching for this article or keyword on Google, and what is the problem that they're facing um, that led them to search for this article. Uh, and then when you write your article, you need to speak to that intent. So um, I just created a briefing on the topic of, what was it? It was um, ch charitable service ideas for kids. And I had to explain the intent of that article uh, to my writers. So the people searching for an article on charitable ideas for kids wouldn't be the children. It would be the parents, the educators, and the family members of the children that kind of wanted to enrich the lives of those children by teaching them the idea of charity. And, and that would mean what I just said would be the, the tail end of it, the reason that they would be searching for it. And in this case, it would be they want to enrich their child's lives. So that's the intent of the keyword charitable ideas for kids. It's, uh, you know, people around the lives of the children who want to do something for the child. So understanding that intent and writing your article to basically answer that intent uh, will give you a much better uh, chance of ranking for the keyword you're targeting. So first and foremost, that's the most wholesome example I think we've ever been given <laughs> on this show. So well done for that. That's a, that's a definite prize winner. Thank you, thank you. Um, there's also an element there, because when we talk about the intent, so it's it's identifying the audience, but it's also, from from my understanding, from my point of view, you know, you really want to try and understand what stage that person is in, um, especially if it's something to do with a product or a service that you're offering. You know, the difference between uh, what is social media marketing and, you know, social media marketing agency, for example, you know, those are two very different intentional searches in terms of, you know, I'm trying to understand it. 
uh, and I'm looking for the education aspect. And then also, you know, no, I'm looking, right. for, I'm looking for an agency, right? And how do you, how do you help people to kind of work through that to, to understand, you know, which are the articles that potentially are going to, you know, help educate people and which are the articles that are actually going to help convert people? Sure. So this guy kind of goes back to our standard sales funnel, and, and I'm glad you brought it up because what I described previously is just kind of like how to write an article around a tent. Uh, but to identify the intent, it kind of just maps to the stages of your sales funnel. Um, so the, you know, the top of the funnel is always your awareness content. And using my uh, example, um, you know, uh, charitable ideas for children, that would be mapped to the awareness stage in your funnel. Um, but if you have somebody uh, that is at a different stage in the funnel, let's say at the bottom of the funnel when they're ready to take action, that might be a different keyword. So if we're using the charity idea, um, they're, if they're at the bottom of the funnel, they're looking to take action. So let's say um, they would be searching for a keyword, uh, specific charities you know, that children can participate in. That that'll be a keyword that's lowered down in the in the sales funnel or the awareness funnel. I'm sorry, not the awareness, the sales funnel. Um, and your it's a different intent. Uh, their intent is no longer to look for ideas of charities. Their intent now is to uh, look for a specific charity so they can go ahead and take action on teaching their kids about charity. So yes, you when you you're identifying intent, you have to map the intent to the stage of, of the funnel that the, uh, the visitor or searcher is currently in. And then you need to write your, your content with that idea in mind. I think that's exactly what it is. The, the idea of understanding the audience, understanding the person who's reading this, but then also, like you said, understanding where they're at. And again, in your sales cycle from the very beginning of awareness and education and all the rest of it, all the way through to what are those pieces of content that are really going to actually help somebody to take action, right? Because that's, you know, for all the for all the stats that we can give where the blogs are getting lots of content written, read, uh, people are linking and everything else, ultimately what we're always looking for is the bottom line, right? We're trying to help our clients to, to do true. better. We're trying to help guys listening to this to do better. Um, and I think that's one of the steps that can can often be overlooked in terms of, you know, really identifying who that audience is and understanding your sales cycle, right? Absolutely. And to add some fuel to the fire now, um, the new thing is uh, the, the sentiment of the keyword. So Google's you know, moving into the world of artificial intelligence and uh, natural language processing and all this nerdy stuff. Uh, but in short, on top of intent, uh, Google's now looking for positive or negative sentiment. So you could be writing um, factually correct information around the keyword that you want to rank. You could be writing towards the correct intent of the keyword, but if your sentiment, whether it's positive, negative, or is off compared to what's currently ranking for the keyword on the top 10 uh, spots currently, um, you could be putting yourself at a disadvantage. Now, uh, sentiment analysis is still very, very new, uh, but if anybody is um, trying to, I guess, stay on top of uh, best optimization practices, uh, that's the next layer to all of this uh, keyword optimization stuff. Um, so, you know, we just spoke about intent. And then the next step in, in, the, uh, in the evolution would be sentiment analysis on top of that. Just to make this clear to everyone, 
uh, Vin is not saying add a couple of smiley emojis and heart eye emojis to change to change the uh, the sentiment. <laughs> that that won't do it, and that's not going to work. Yeah, sentiment analysis just kind of refers to um, if the general tone of the article is positive or negative. Uh, we we do a lot of product reviews at, at Word Agents, so you know if uh, we write an article that's you know an overly glowing positive review for a given service or product but all the other reviews uh, for that product are negative, we're gonna have a, a, a less of a chance of ranking that article for the target keyword because we just stick out like a sore thumb and the sentiment uh, isn't in line with what the, uh, what the masses are, are saying it should be. As much as I have to admit that I hate, um, I, I can hate the SEO elements sometimes and the same with social media changes to algorithms and everything else. You've got to give it to the guys at Google. They are very smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think SEOs are smart in general too. Um, and as much as we get on Google for making our lives difficult, you got to give them props for the intelligence because these guys are really savvy. It's interesting because it's always going to be changing. And every time it changes, somebody else is going to be trying to game the system. And every time somebody's trying to game the system, they're going to make changes and so on and so forth. The game of cat yeah, and mouse continues. It's a, it's a running joke uh, in the SEO world that uh, every time there's a change to Google, every, you know, everybody screams that SEO is dead. And uh, anytime we read that, you know, guys in the know kind of just laugh because SEO is not going to die. As long as there's search engines, there's going to be SEO. Uh, but it's really about how you adapt to the changes and update your strategies and procedures. Um, that really, you know, that th that's really, you know, where you kind of can weather the storm uh, anytime Google uh, makes a change that really affects the uh, the SEO climate. I think as long as there's always websites, there's always going to be search engines because let's face it, no one's going to go through a directory listing of some 6 billion <laughs> websites or whatever it is that there are out there nowadays. Exactly. That's spot on. Okay, cool. Before we wrap up, one quick question. Sure. Uh, and actually, this is probably not going to be quick and maybe we should have started this earlier, but <laughs> um, localized SEO. So for local businesses, I know that there's a ton of tools out there, but I, I think even with Google, you know, for, for, for having your, your, your proper information and updates about who you are and where you are and your address and your business opening hours, et cetera. But what do you say to local businesses that are trying to really help themselves for, um, for their audience and their target audience within their area? So, you know, being fully transparent, local SEO is, is not my expertise. Uh, there's some, some nuances there that, that um, I don't really track just because, you know, I don't, that's not my, uh, my specialty. Um, but in short, um, local SEO, you, instead of backlinks, um, backlinks are still important, but you also want something called a citation. And a citation is really just uh, a backlink that attaches uh, your name, address, and phone number to it as well. Uh, and especially for new local businesses, the first thing you wanna do when you're doing offsite SEO is to make sure you go and get um, as many citations as possible. And we certainly don't expect you to go out and build you know, hundreds or thousands of citations on your own. There's services out there that will do that for you. Um, off the top of my head, I, I think uh, WhiteSpark, uh, Darren Shaw, as the owner of that, that's a great citation service. And also Loganix.net, that's L-O-G-A-N.net. Uh, that's owned by Adam Steele. He has a great uh, citation service as well. 
Um, so citations are a big uh, part of the local SEO mix. Um, and outside of that, uh, just make sure you do your keyword research. It's gonna be difficult to find uh, local versions of keywords. So if we're talking about child charity, um, we're not gonna you know, find a lot of keywords like uh, child charity and uh, um, Huntington, New York, right? There's not gonna be a lot of people searching for that. So what I suggest is to just find the general keywords. Uh, so in this example, I would say child charity. And then I would just append my location keywords to the end of that. Um, and that way, when somebody happens to search for it, uh, you'll know that you're using a, a popular keyword within your location and you'll have the best chance of, of getting a, a targeted visitor to your website. So that would probably be my, my two top tips for, for local SEO. Then this has been awesome. Before we say goodbye, how can people find you online? Where can they go? Um, and to, what's the best place? Sure. Um, you can main spot. You can find me uh, wordagents.com. Uh, if you submit any questions via our contact form on the website, uh, you'll probably get me uh, responding to you. So we, we respond to all messages within 24 hours and we're um, very responsive. And, and even if you just guys have a question and don't need the word agent service, uh, I'm, I'm happy to help out. Uh, outside of that, I'm all over Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So you can find me in there as well. Awesome. Vin, thank you very much for joining me today. Chris, I appreciate it, man. This was a great time. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Take care. The All About Digital Marketing podcast is brought to you by Social Inc., a distributed digital marketing agency specialized in delivering results through online campaigns. Whether it's content marketing, social media marketing, online advertising, or web design, we've got you covered from strategy through to delivery. If you're struggling with your digital marketing, get in touch today by simply visiting www.socialinc.co.